Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Shiva Nag Compella, Ph.D., who is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom. We will discuss how air pollution is breaking our hearts. Shiva is an electrophysiologist. He works with Holly Shields, a senior author of Polyaromatic Hydrocarbons in Pollution, a Heartbreaking Matter, published in the Journal of Physiology, January 2020. He completed a Ph.D. degree in Biomedical Sciences from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Melbourne, Australia, followed by two years of postdoctoral work at the University of Sydney, where he worked on the development of small peptides and molecules for novel therapeutics. With a strong background in ion channel pharmacology, he is currently investigating the cardiotoxicity of polyaromatic hydrocarbons, PA. H's at the cellular level. Shiva, welcome. Hi, Elena. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Let's start with some basic concepts and work our way to this breaking hearts concept, which is a little intimidating. Yes. What is an electrophysiologist? So, um, an electrophysiologist is basically uh, a br- person who studies the branch of physiology that has to deal with the electrical properties of the biological cells and tissue. So we look at voltage changes and current changes that is happening at both cellular level and at tissue level. And we look at these at both normal physiology, a normal uh, uh, human being and also in disease conditions. So you're looking at the physiology at the body itself, and in this particular case that we're talking about today, the heart. Yes. Yes, that's correct. So uh, we are, uh, our Holly Shields lab is mainly focusing on cardiovascular diseases. And uh, so I joined in about almost a year and a half ago uh, to our lab. And we are currently investigating, as you mentioned, the topic is the cardiotoxicity of components of air pollution, which um, obviously I'll discuss in much more detail later on. What is a polyaromatic hydrocarbon? So, uh, polyaromatic hydrocarbon is basically, in this instance, I would say, um, is a benzene ring, which is uh, an aromatic hydrocarbon, which is, um, so uh, a a benzene ring that is fused with its own, with multiple benzene rings fused by itself. And so in this instance, for example, that I'll be talking with, which is phenanthrene, is a molecule which has got three benzene rings fused in the form of a crescent shape. Is this an oil, a product of uh, oil? Yes. Uh, Polyaromatic hydrocarbons are prevalent, uh, significantly prevalent in oils. Are they synthetic molecules or are they naturally occurring? Uh, they are naturally occurring molecules. And what purpose do they serve in nature? Um, they are basically um, like benzene, which is uh, a carbon molecule, carbon-based molecule. So uh, they are, uh, uh, frankly, in nature, I don't know how what exactly do they serve the purpose? It's uh, just part of uh, oil, and when it's burnt, uh, it gets these polyaromatic hydrocarbons, which can be of different sizes, break into, again, multiple sizes. 
So from one benzene ring to all the way five, six benzene rings fused together and they are released in the atmosphere or water, whichever the, uh, wherever the uh, oil comes in contact with. Where would the average person encounter or would the average person encounter a PAH or polyaromatic hydrocarbon? Do we as citizens of the world, normal everyday people, do we encounter these polyaromatic hydrocarbons in our everyday lives? And if so, where? Yes, we very much do, almost in every aspect, because uh, our, in a way, civilization is built on fossil fuels, and both at uh, oil mining, which is uh, it's uh, the crude oil minings, and also the burning of fossil fuels, which includes petrol, diesel, and all these products in both industry, transport, all of these release these pHs to the environment, and uh, which is um, in which is also the reason for the study is that it is now uh, or it has been previously known to be a significant component of air, pollu- air pollution, but the effects the of these were not known. Are these molecules in the oil that we put, or the petrol, as you call it, that we put in our cars or in the air that we breathe, where are we encountering these PAHs? So they are mainly in oil, the crude oil, and as we uh, process them to petrol and diesel, they are also present in those. Uh, The size so the poly, as I was mentioning before, the polyaromatic hydrocarbons are of different sizes, uh, and I can mention it in the form of um, a benzene ring is a circular six-carbon molecule. So in that, in future, I'll be referring it as a cyclic molecule. So the there are different sizes of these polyaromatic hydrocarbons, so tricyclic, tetracyclic, pentacyclic, which basically means that it's more and more benzene rings fused to each other. And when the petrol or crude oil, which already has the ratio of each polyaromatic hydrocarbons uh, vary between the source. So crude oil has got the highest amount of polyaromatic hydrocarbons, and it could have they could have different sizes. Uh, And again, that changes when it's processed to petrol and diesel. And then it again changes when the actual petrol and diesel is burnt, and and which is where the exhaust, from the exhaust of uh, 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 transportation. So those will release different forms of polyaromatic hydrocarbons. Is there a difference between the polyaromatic hydrocarbons in the crude oil, the oil that comes out of the ground, and in the byproducts and processed oil for purposes of our discussion? Um, Yes. In a broad respect, yes. So uh, the crude oil generally has aromatic hydrocarbons, which are much larger in size in general. Uh, But as we keep uh, purifying or refining it, and then further upon combustion, they reduce in size. And currently, the almost the smallest product of this polyaromatic hydrocarbons is the two-cycle or bi, uh, tricyclic and two-cycle hydrocarbons. And in this case, Financerin, which I'll be talking later on, uh, which is part of the project, is a tricyclic polyaromatic hydrocarbon. Do the major oil spills that we have had 
in recent times come into play for the discussion that we're having today? Is that something that is relevant? Is this affecting the, the availability of these polyaromatic hydrocarbons? Yes, very much. So, uh, which is where, um, in retrospect, the whole uh, study has actually evolved is uh, during the oil spills, um, most of the work was done on aquatic marine life, on aquatic fishes that uh, are both commercially available and normal, the general uh, aquatic animals and how the crude oil affected these animals and which eventually evolved into how polyaromatic hydrocarbons could actually be affecting us and how we need to understand and take precautions. Since it's a naturally occurring substance, crude oil, can we assume that in its natural state it's not harmful to the environment because, after all, it is part of the environment? Or is it, is it the quantity? Is it where it ends up? Tell us a little bit about that, if you would, so that we can understand why this material, this substance that is in its natural state, because when it spills, it's just coming out of the earth. Why does it present a hazard, or does it? So, again, I'm not, um, don't have that much information on the geographic aspect of it, but as I understand, the crude oil is embedded in the inside um, the earth, and the major issue of the crude oil or these polyaromatic hydrocarbons is when they come into direct contact with uh, humans or animals or living beings. So uh, as long as, so when the crude oil spill actually happened, it is, we have, so it is by human interference. So when we extracted the oil from the ground, so the crude oil, the content, the amount of crude oil uh, was never in that quantity or in that much of quantity in contact with the animals or the humans. But we, through our human activity, we are extracting a much significant amount of crude oil and processing it, and we are burning the oil and petrol uh, components of oil or the refined components of oil such as petrol and diesel in a much faster and a much significant higher rate than what would actually naturally occur. What have you found? Um, so um, I would like to first mention, so basically the article that we published is, um, it's like a prelude to our current research that is going on. So it's basically a literature review that's summoning up all the previous research that was done and which actually came to understanding that, led to the understanding that it could be affecting us humans in a much more direct manner and which is where the topic of uh, and heartbreaking matter came into the picture. So what we found is that uh, the crude oil and these polyaromatic hydrocarbons, uh, certain hydrocarbons were classified carcinogenic, and uh, one of them, the most popular one, is called benzoapyrene, uh, which is a five-cyclic uh, uh, hydrocarbon, polyaromatic hydrocarbon. So it was called five benzene rings, um, and. The carcinogenicity was because of its interference in the development of our heart and other uh, tissues within our human body or within fishes. 
But what we found is that the smaller polyaromatic hydrocarbons, which were previously not, um, which were considered to be non-harmful, actually are found out that they are directly affecting our heart rate. So it actually not through developmental phases. So, for example, in a, in a matter of terms, I could say that if I inhale enough of, let's say, the phenanthrin, enough concentration of the phenanthrin, I could actually be having a heart attack or I could be having an irregular heartbeat, which is called uh, fibrillation in medical terms, and it could weaken my heart on, over time. And that eventually can cause, because the heart cannot no longer pump as efficiently as possible, it can lead to stroke, which is basically uh, the loss of blood to your brain and it is fatal most of the times. How much is enough in this case? How much phenanthrene must you inhale in order for this to happen, for your heart to weaken and cause a stroke or a heart attack? So currently, uh, at this point, I cannot say for sure because uh, that is one of the aspects that we are also studying because uh, uh, it leads, so the the amount of phenanthrin in human system is, hasn't been properly um, studied. And so um, we have models that, for example, in my research, I'm using zebrafish, which is basically a really small fish, uh, but it has its physiology or its heart is almost as equivalent to a human heart. It behaves like a human heart. So we're using this model to know what concentration could be affecting uh, humans. And uh, our initial studies do show that it could be in lower micromolar range, which in retrospect can be found in urban areas today um, and there have been recorded cases of that amount reaching uh, for uh, people that are working with coal oil in specific and also in heavily polluted um, urban areas. Would you give us examples of heavily polluted urban areas where you have seen evidence of this or where you can conclude there might be evidence of this? So there are so some of the more important studies are obviously currently are the developing nations such as India and China uh, are where the levels have significantly much higher uh, even still. Uh, But in previous years, uh, during the extensive, uh, during, in London, there has been a case of, just give me one second. Yes, so there have been recorded case in London of about so the phenanthrin in about 80 nanograms per meter cube, which is in which is pretty high. Uh, and these records, these levels were recorded, although in 1994, but uh, it is it is still quite um, high, even with the ongoing research. That's yeah. How does that compare, for example, do you have any data with other cities around the world, say like Los Angeles or New York, which are some of the largest cities we have in the United States, or Mexico City, Sao Paulo? Unfortunately, uh, I would say at this point, 
there is no specific uh, information because again uh, the effect of phenanthrin or these polyaromatic hydrocarbons to humans is only known recently so uh, only two years back the research has started till that point of time most of the focus was with water pollution and how it is affecting the commercial fishes uh, because of the continuous oil uh, spills and everything and and only in the in retrospect the effect of air pollution the research has been only in the past 5 years or so it has really um been come into light with much uh, with what i mean to say is more research has only started in the last decade so um with there isn't much data with respect to the atmospheric concentrations uh of specifically with phenanthrin uh but now i know with uh there are few of my colleagues and other researchers who are actually looking into this and we are trying to correlate our work to that data to sort of bring a better understanding how is it that you are able to reach this conclusion in terms of the phenanthrene and its effects on the heart have you studied patients who have had heart conditions how how did you reach the conclusion that enough of this material in the air can lead to cardiac distress so with respect to that so I would, which is where um sorry if I was previously misunderstood so there is no like there is some data looking at phenanthrin in specific but there has there is research done by um the um other authors in this paper such as uh, Mark Miller and John Cardona and Ellen uh who and Fabian Brett who are working in aquatic toxicology uh, who are leading scientists in aquatic to- toxicology and air pollution who have done mainly working with particulate matter 2.5 uh which I'll uh, explain in a minute as to what it is uh and there has been a lot of studies linking the particulate matter with uh cardiovascular diseases so only recently in my current work we uh, we are using or in some of the previous work that Holly has also done so we were able to uh, look at phenanthrin's activity on cardiomyocytes of fishes which is basically heart cells of fishes and when it was directly applied to these cells uh the ion channels so basically which is what conducts the beating of the heart the ion the current of the heart uh was affected so it led to um increase of the um, now unfortunately here at some of these technical terms i have to mention such as action potential which is basically uh, a duration of a single beat uh of a heart cell so it lead it prolongs that uh, the presence of phenanthrin on these heart cells prolong the duration of the single heartbeat which at a, a body or a heart level causes prolongation of each heartbeat and that is what is called arrhythmia and that can lead to heart attack and other cardiovascular diseases so we are so while some studies have been done looking at patients who are being diagnosed with cardiovascular diseases and uh, but it is more epidem- epidemiological studies that are linking with the air pollution we are using models to show this effect 
in aquatic systems and in mammalian systems, such as sheep, rat, and uh, also using uh, human-derived cardiomyocytes, which are, again, uh, heart cells. So you're looking at the heart cells of these different creatures from the various kinds of creatures all the way to human heart cells to draw your conclusions. Did I understand correctly? Yes, that's correct. How confident are you that this conclusion is accurate? In other words, what is your level of confidence that these substances, phenanthrene, and the polyaromatic hydrocarbons are damaging our hearts. We are extremely confident because um, so when we when we are doing our in our experiments, so basically phenanthrene or these polyaromatic hydrocarbons are naturally occurring, but in a sense, a lot of actually drugs that are synthesized by major companies, benzene, the benzene ring that I mentioned, which is the base of phenanthrene structure, is actually one of the most common structure used. And in any drug that is being developed by a company, they have the cardiac safety test. And according to that, so if I just go back to when I was mentioning about the duration of that heartbeat of a cell, which is called the action potential, one of the one of the ion channel that uh, has a huge impact on that is a Herg channel, H-E-R-G, Herg channel. So this basically pumps potassium out of the cell, and it brings the cell back to a negative voltage of minus 70 or minus 80 millivolts. And so when a drug inhibits or when a drug stops the activity of the channel, that doesn't happen as quickly as it's supposed to, which is basically around 300 milliseconds. That is the heartbeat uh, of a cell, which is the action potential, the size of an action potential. So sometimes this action potential size from 300 milliseconds extends beyond its time and it delays, when it continues to extend, it delays the heartbeat of the heart. So these drugs, so in most of the companies, that is a safety, uh, so any drug should not actually have an activity on this ion channel, the herb channel. So it is the cutoff uh, point. So if any drug has got a significant activity on this ion channel, cannot actually pass its clinical phases to be tested on to even the human level. So they are initially tested on mouse models and stuff, and once it shows an activity on this channel, it no longer passes to the next stage of clinical testing. So what we are showing or we are confident is that this phenanthrin molecule is acting on that ion channel. So it is basically like a drug that the companies are, different forms of drugs that the companies are trying and it has got a bad effect. Unfortunately, while we can stop companies to develop a drug that has an effect on her channel, this drug is freely flying around in our atmosphere and we have just realized that that is it's bad so having that in the atmosphere so um, yeah when you say a drug Shiva are you talking about a prescription drug or are you just saying a substance that is airborne no I'm talking in this respect I'm talking when, when I when I mention about the companies, I'm talking about prescription drugs. So, for example, um, uh, so in the article, we mentioned a couple of references where uh, companies from two major publications by companies from Merck and AstraZeneca, which is a British-Swedish pharmaceutical company. So they have analyzed their range of almost... 
drugs that are currently in testing, almost 11,000, and some the other company has up to 5,000 drugs. And what they found is that uh, drugs that are that were in development or are in development or whatever that range is, uh, that actually have the structure, the tricyclic benzene structure, where we're having the strongest effect out of all their drugs, those drugs that have that tricyclic structure similar to phenanthrin actually had much higher activity or potency on this Herb channel. So those drugs obviously might not, obviously since there's a huge list, I don't know uh, what whether those lists includes past drugs or whether it's continuing drugs. I, I don't want to comment on that, but those drugs actually showed uh, activity on Herb channel. So they are harmful at a certain concentration to humans. Are these aerosolized and drugs or are they injected drugs? Are they pills? All of the above? So I would say at this point I can't say anything because these are, these are, these are drugs or that have not reached that stage. So uh, that is the delivery of drug stage, which is at the, when it initially, so in a company, when someone develops a drug, so it goes through different stages of uh, research or testing. And so these drugs that inhale or uh, they aerosolized or pills or these things, those is the, that is the final or close to final step. Again, I would definitely, I would like to stress that I'm not an expert. Uh, so at this point, I'm not 100% confident with the information regarding whether the compounds here are aerosolized or what. So basically, they have mentioned in that article that they have tested a range of drugs uh, that has structures similar to phenanthrene or these polyaromatic hydrocarbons and they found out that the tricyclic form of drugs have the highest potency to this ion channel, which is harmful once it reaches to a certain concentration, any sort of concentration. If it is active, any concentration it reaches that is active on by, that inhibits this ion channel, it is bad to humans. So what I'm trying to say with this information is basically uh, the chemistry of the phenanthrin. Uh, I'm talking about phenanthrin here, but the chemistry of uh, tricyclic compounds uh, has been known. But the link that these tricyclic compounds that the companies developed for other for other forms of uh, in their drug screening process, the base molecule, which is this just a three benzene ring phenanthrin, actually exists in air, and that the link that it, that could actually cause has never it hasn't come to that stage. But that is where we are trying to say that you know, we found out that phenanthrin itself is affecting that ion channel, and therefore it is bad to humans. So which is why uh, air pollution has, it is more important now. It, it has always been important, but I guess it gets more significant that it needs to be regulated even more, the air pollution. So that's what the whole are these compounds that are in the air that are part of the pollution you've mentioned, is this from pharmaceutical processing? Is this from burning of fossil fuels? Is it both? Do you know? Uh, no, the pharmaceutical aspect is completely independent. It has nothing to do. It is only uh, giving a basis or an indication 
uh, as the chemistry is the same. So these are not the pharmaceutical compounds that I mentioned are not released to the environment or anything. I'm talking about so I, the phenanthrin is the major source of the phenanthrin or these polyaromatic hydrocarbons is through the particulate matter 2.5, which is released due to combustion of uh, combustion of, of fuel, which most in most cases is transportation, engine emissions, tire and brake wear, uh, and other sources include even quarrying and construction release these 2.5. Uh, particulate matter and these polyaromatic hydrocarbons stick to these particles and we inhale or it is uh, it gets into our system through the particulate matters. Do our bodies have any ways of dealing with these substances? Any natural way of filtering them or expelling them from our system? Yes, we do have, uh, but again, as I was mentioning, it always depends on how much a body can handle or, or the, uh, the concentration levels. So, um, for example, so before I go into that explaining, so obviously I've been mentioning about the particulate matter. Uh, so basically, uh, when the fuels or any of these, any particles, so a, basically a carbon, imagine a carbon charcoal ball that is the size of 2.5 micrometer. So it is, it is not visible to our naked eye. But sometimes we see dark sort of uh, smoke coming out of um, a car that is not properly maintained or uh, in the about 20, 30 years ago when uh, airplane engine fuel was burnt, you could see a black uh, smoke coming out of the engine. So there is particle sizes of 10 micromolar, which you can, it is visible, which is what those are. So all these carbon particles are uh, in a way active. They seem inert. The charcoal doesn't seem that harmful, but they are inactive in the sense that these molecules, the polyaromatic hydrocarbons that actually occur due to combustion, bind to these molecules. Now, naturally, the bigger particles are easy to are easier, not so easy, easier to remove by our body because when we inhale them, our trachea and the cilia, the small filaments in our trachea. Uh, in our lung system can actually stop it, the mucus and everything, hold it and it'll excrete it out. The 2.5, which is the smaller version, can actually reach the alveoli of the lungs, which is basically uh, the structures where the gases exchange, the carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange in us. And once these stick to the surface of those alveoli, they can be translocated into our body by various means and by themselves. And the body can excrete these out, stop these, but again, it would be uh, dependent on concentration. How much are you actually inhaling? So there would be a limit your body could cope so, which is where, again, the concentration of the, when we talk about air pollution, it is the concentration of the particulate matter we talk about rather than phenanthrin. When the concentration of particulate matter reduces, which is what the air quality testing is about, uh, the concentration of phenanthrin would also reduce because we are basically removing the uh, delivery method for these polyaromatic hydrocarbons to reach our lungs. How concerned do we need to be about these 
polyaromatic hydrocarbons and how soon would you say that they are a threat or are they already a threat? Um, they, in today's respect, I would say they are already a threat uh, because currently, like you said, um, some of the most people might know, but also I would like to just point out some of the statistics. So, for example, the coronary heart disease, which is basically a blockage of your heart arteries, uh, that is one of that is the leading cause of death worldwide, and it almost causes 9.4 million people. It's the cause for 9.4 million people deaths. And it is one of the also leading cause in UK, and there are about 64,000 premature deaths happening, and it can kill you twice as fast than a breast cancer for a woman. So, and when it comes to, we also have heart attack, atrial fibrillation, where in each condition almost 1.5 1.4 million people in UK in, are living and these figures also could be higher or about the same in US. I don't have the statistics at this point. There are people living with these conditions. So it is it's actually quite important that we regulate air pollution uh, much more strictly. And so, for example, the WHO recommends uh, the air pollution, uh, the particulate matter should be below 10 micrograms per meter cube, which is the annual mean. Uh, in UK and EU, the target currently for 2020 is 25 micrograms. So that's 2.5 fold more still. And in countries like China and India and other developing countries, uh, it is reaching even 40, 50 micrograms per meter cube. Um, there are certain areas in certain countries that are quite, there is less pollution or it's quite regulated to that range. But it is still, uh, it is still of concern in general. Uh, no matter how much so the idea is that eventually we want the air pollution to go to what uh, most people say is zero emission air pollution that it would be the target because um, while I'm trying to be as general as possible there is chemistry of these molecules that enable it to stick to the human body or human cells so it can accumulate in time over your lifetime and while it might seem like it's not a problem now but in 10 years of breathing air pollution or air, these air pollutants you will develop some sort of cardio you could be developing some sort of cardiovascular diseases and we are looking at a span of 40, 50 years or 60 years of breathing these air pollutants in at smaller quantities per breath, per breath, but 60 years of breathing can accumulate enough to cause some sort of, it could be one of the underlying conditions that could be developing a cardiovascular disease along with all the other pollutants that are already there. How does that relate to other particles that are already in the environment, that are already part of the pollution that you've been describing to us, including things, for example, like microplastics that have been in the news so much lately? Are these similar? Are they different? Can we put them all together in under the same hat of its pollution that we're ingesting and or breathing tell us a little bit about that um, broadly I would say the answer is yes uh, but 
so again, as I've been mentioning about freelancing uh, uh, more frequently, but we need to understand that we, when I talk about phenanthrin, it is a model polyaromatic hydrocarbon. It's a model. There are so many polyaromatic hydrocarbons that are being constantly released, and these are also modified when you actually inhale them, and they're going through your body, and which are called metabolites. And these also have different effects. So, and the structures... Um, which uh, they are, they uh, share similar structures um, to microplastics, even uh, the nano uh, materials that is being used uh, in uh, such as nanomaterials for drug delivery system. So we need to we, there is a need for proper testing that has to be carried out. And uh, while uh, we are currently just started looking using phenanthrin as a model molecule, we are planning to explore other polyaromatic hydrocarbons and also look at other air pollutants and other even including microplastics could actually have uh, that effect. Obviously, I can't say that it will for sure because, again, it's um, it we wouldn't know until we specifically test it. Um, and I'm not sure currently. I'm not sure if there has been a direct research study showing these. But just as as I mentioned previously, that how we have known for decades uh, from the oil spills uh, that these polyaromatic hydrocarbons exist, but only now we are realizing that it's actually causing health problems. Similarly, there could be parallels. There could be parallels with microplastics and other um, uh, nanoparticles that requires testing and that could be harmful. What can you tell us about the microplastics? Are they really in our water and in our lungs and in our cells, as reports have said? And if so, how much of a concern is that? Um, I am not an expert in microplastics. Uh, in retrospect, I've... Um, so, uh, mainly one, I'm not a chemist with background, so I can't uh, say for 100%. Uh, but, again, as I've just mentioned, so even when it comes to plastics or these microplastics, uh, just like uh, by accumulation, so the, the aspect of the microplastic that is harmful is similar to... Uh, particulate matter. So the microplastic itself might not be, might not be, I stress, uh, might not be harmful. I don't know for sure. But when the microplastic is similar to a 2.5 micrometer carbon ball, it is a substrate where harmful pollutants can actually bind to it, and those can be translocated to our human system. Uh, whether we one aspect of the bioaccumulation that I was mentioning is actually having seafood um, and other forms of uh, meat, where these phenanthrin and, for example, especially with seafood, when the crude oil spills actually happened, the phenanthrin can get into the fish. And when you consume those fish, the concentration, it can actually get into your system. And there has been a study where they showed phenanthrin in a pregnant 
uh, woman, the maternal blood of a pregnant woman, uh, actually being transferred to the cord blood of her newborn. And the concentrations were about the same. So it can be translocated even from one generation to another generation. So in a way, so the microplastic um, can be in similar to a particle matter can be a good substrate to actually gather all the pollutants that is there in nature and get ingested to us or get transferred to us. Does that mean that we shouldn't be eating anything from the sea? No kelp, no seaweed, <laughs> no sea life at all? No, I didn't mention that. Uh, I, I mean that we need to regulate how much we burn the fossil fuel. So the more fossil fuel we burn, the greater the deposition of these polyaromatic hydrocarbons happens in nature and the greater it can circulate back to us. So we need to look at cleaner energy options and try to reduce the burning of fossil fuels. So, yeah. Going back to what you were just saying about people consuming fish and seafood and studies revealing that they had some of these compounds in their bodies and in their blood, right? Uh, so the study was, the study, uh, the two things are completely different. Sorry. Uh, so the fish studies are separate. So these, so the study that was I mentioned was to show that the levels of phenanthrin that were there in the maternal blood of the pregnant woman were similar to the newborn, the cord blood of the newborns. So it was a study to show that these polyaromatic hydrocarbons can actually transfer into uh, the newborns and through generations. The fish aspect of it is basically the idea of, so what it also states is that it's the bioaccumulation. So there is, so if we deposit uh, enough polyaromatic hydrocarbons, whether it can be through air pollution. So when we talk about air pollution, air pollution can also deposit the pollutants when it comes in contact with the water surface, which is one of the biggest resources on Earth. So these polyaromatic hydrocarbons do get transferred from air to water as well. And the especially and also along with these crude oil spills, these polyaromatic hydrocarbons are actually entering the aquatic systems. So when we consume them, they could be transferring to us as well, similar to how it has been shown. So those are two separate ones. I'm not saying that Right now, if we actually are eating fish, we're actually consuming it. Maybe it could be true. It might not be in the sense that the, it depends, again, as to where the fish is. Again, it's a, it's a broader topic, which obviously uh, uh, I can't exactly comment upon. Uh, but the aquatic pollution also affects us. That is what I'm trying to say. So which is why the title of the press release says humans and marine health is affected in similar ways uh, that we can't just ignore that if the marine health is destroyed, it, we can't think that it doesn't affect us. So it affects us in more ways than we know. What can our listeners do is there anything that they can do at the moment to protect themselves from having their hearts broken by these substances? What three tips would you share with our listeners that they can take back to their lives, to their homes, to their loved ones, and 
do something about this, whether it's learning more or taking physical steps like wearing masks. I don't know. What, what three tips would you share with our listeners to address this issue? So uh, there are two different levels of the tips I can give. Obviously, one is at a much higher level of air pollution in general, which obviously comes down to both the government and individuals to try and opt for cleaner energy uh, fuel, which is basically electric cars or these things, and the government to also reduce emissions, uh, can be from industries or any sort of uh, harmful or any sort of fuel combustion. Um, so if, and I, I think that is one of the major uh, aspect of, so uh, for example, the in UK and EU where the target was for the PM particles to range only, their target was 25 micrograms per meter cube at 2020, while the WHO suggests 10 micrograms. There has to be more effort uh, from government and also from individuals to try and reduce as much as fossil fuel burning as possible. And this can also come in forms of using uh, charcoals and wood and these kind of things in barbecues, uh, even gas, uh, natural gas burning in barbecues uh, in your own and your car being electric in a form uh, rather than burning fossil uh, petrol and diesel and in that respect I wouldn't say masks wearing masks has a viable option uh, again um, there so again it's not an immediate effect in the sense that it's not acute so it, nothing will happen if you go out onto the street but you have to be aware that as you keep living in air polluted urban areas and you're constantly breathing the exhaust of the cars and other other burning fuels, you are in more and more risk of having cardiovascular issues. Would it be accurate to say then that people who are living in major urban areas and particular areas that have a lot of pollution, people who are in those areas should be considering their future in those areas? Um. That is, that is a tough question to answer. Um, uh, again, uh, yes, uh, every, so it comes down to every individual. So what I'm, and also, sorry, uh, the other aspect of this whole topic uh, has been that I have forgot to one of the mention is also smoking, which actually has a significant component. Phenanthrin is a significant component of a cigarette smoke. And so in that respect, so um, if every individual contributes to reducing the burning or the contribution towards these particulate matters, um, if we will reach our safety targets. One of the precautions that if an individual is being exposed uh, constantly to a polluted area is to use um, face masks temporarily. Uh, for example, uh, I myself have, uh, I'm asthmatic and I do cycle and if I'm going through a specific road, so through a busy road and during the peak hours where there is a lot of traffic, so at that point 
the amount of pollution or the amount of exhaust uh, pollutants is more con- compared to the non-peak cars. So having a face mask while I'm cycling helps to reduce the amount of the particulate matter I'm inhaling. So yes, so in that respect, it uh, it is advisable to take precautions, but also, as I said, uh, every individual need to uh, work or have their share of effort to put to reduce air pollution or burning or even reduce the smoking uh, because uh, one of the other statistics is one in like almost 20,000 deaths out of 100,000 that's almost 20% of deaths that are attributed to smoking have a cardiovascular disease associated to it so 20 and so it is it's quite a significant component and phenanthrin is been shown to be a significant component of cigarette smoke so in, yeah if that answers that question is that yes yes Shiva, thank you for joining us from Manchester in the United Kingdom. Yeah, thank you very much, Alina, for this opportunity. And I would like to also thank to all the speakers, listeners, who are listening to this. And to our audience, you have been listening to Shiva Nag Kompela, Ph.D., who is a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Manchester in the United Kingdom, who discussed how air pollution is breaking our hearts. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.